These attitudes are so grooved in our ideologies that we cannot listen to and appreciate the experience of others. Civility is not politeness, it's the empathetic conversation of citizens. Citizens who care for one another and want to know one another's experience with no one being left out of the conversation. Civility does not mean we don't fight. Married people fight, I'm told. That's Father Stephen Sunborg, president of Seattle University. Father Sunborg is addressing a critical issue that is plaguing this country, civility, or lack thereof. Can we get it back? Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer. Also joining us today, David Horsey, editorial cartoonist and columnist, and also two-time Pulitzer Prize winner. David also talks about the deep ideological differences in the country right now, but he also asks the question, why are people so angry? Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Rocket Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. Neil Armstrong was the first man to set foot on the moon. In my opinion, this was the most incredible feat in human history. I have been asking listeners to let us know what were they doing and what were they thinking when Neil Armstrong uttered the following words at 7.56 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on July 20, 1969. It's one small step for man, one I'm not through asking listeners to provide their reflections on what they were doing and thinking when Neil Armstrong took the first step on the moon. Call 425-653-1166 and leave your message. That's 425-653-1166. Leave your impressions and I will play them on the air. That's 425-653-1166. Back with Father Stephen Sunborg in just a moment. Fifty years ago, my family was living in Okinawa. I can remember the whole family crowded around our Zenith black-and-white console watching the fuzzy moonwalk activity. My feelings at the time was sheer awesomeness at the feet. It was just amazing. And I had significant pride in our country. Uh, posting the American flag on the moon really, really, you know, I can, I can imagine, I can still see that to this day. Signing off, this is Rob Schultz. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com, all one word. I was at a pool party as a youngster and saw the thing on TV. At the time, uh, and still now, very proud of it and uh, thought it was really worth it. American superiority, engineering. 
but uh, as far as whether it was worth it, I think it was then, but I don't think we should pay any money to go back. Father Stephen Sunborn, president of Seattle University, spoke to the Seattle Rotarians recently. His speech was on civility or lack of civility in the country today. The following is about one half of his speech, defining what civility really is and how we can get it back. It's this idea of America, then, that I want to talk about and what's the role of civility in reclaiming it. Civility can be seen as a matter of good manners, etiquette, politeness. These are important. George Washington wrote down 100 rules of civility, but they were a school exercise based on, God bless them, the 100 rules of civility composed by who else but the Jesuits in France. (laughs) Those Jesuits just keep showing up. All 100 of these rules of civility are essentially about good manners. James Madison got closer to the deeper importance of civility in his own five rules of civility, such as focus on the idea of the person rather than on the person, and push the state to the highest version of itself. I like the definition of civility as, quote, claiming and caring for one's identity, needs, and beliefs without degrading someone else's in the process. Caring for one's identity, needs, and beliefs without degrading someone else's in the process. I would propose more simply that we define civility as the conversation of citizens. The conversation of citizens. That's what's needed, what we have a responsibility to one another for because of our belonging to one another. We sometimes hear the phrase, speaking truth to power, civility is speaking truth to one another. Civility does not mean agreement. Rather, civility as equal citizens means agreeing on how we deal with our disagreements rather than agreeing about the issues. The example of Al Gore and George W. Bush strongly disagreeing with one another about the decision of the Supreme Court on the winner of their contested election is telltale. Gore said, quote, Now it has ended resolved, as it must be resolved through the honored institutions of our democracy." Bush was just as gracious and principled in replying, "...Americans share hopes and goals and values far more important than political disagreements. Republicans want the best for the nation. Democrats want the same. Our votes may differ, but not our hopes." Now that's true civility. The conversation of citizens who disagree on issues, but agree on how those disagreements are resolved. There's a challenge to civility among us, which is essentially caused by our not being able and not even wanting to know one another. A University of Michigan study showed that college students today score 40% lower than those in the 1970s in their ability to understand what another person is feeling and the biggest drop has occurred in the years since 2000. This is a drop in empathy, being able to enter into the experience and feelings of another in order to appreciate how they see the world 
in our case, how they see the nation. What we need as citizens is conversation, not unbudging debate when we are with one another or denigration of one another when we are apart. These attitudes are so grooved in our ideologies that we cannot listen to and appreciate the experience of others. Civility is not politeness, it's the empathetic conversation of citizens. Citizens who care for one another and want to know one another's experience with no one being left out of the conversation. Civility does not mean we don't fight. Married people fight, I'm told. <laughs> Our nation has been shaped by its citizens fighting with one another, but it must be a disagreeing and a fighting with one another, but it must be a disagreeing and a fighting within the belonging to one another as we the people. The great author, Jill Lepore, the author of the best and most recent, the truest and the fullest history of the United States of America with all that makes part of it, says in her little book that followed it, this America, the case for the nation, the following. Americans are bound by our past, but even more powerfully, we are bound to one another. This America is a community of belonging and commitment, held together by the strength of our ideas and by the force of our disagreements. The nation, however, is the fight, and she italicized is. The nation, as ever, is the fight. Civility is this agreement and disagreement of citizens in conversation, speaking two-footed tr truth to one another, even fighting while disagreeing and finding out how we resolve those disagreements in a democracy. It's because we believe the idea of America is worth it that the nation is the fight, not the freedom, not, the free, uh, not free from the fight. A false civility is one that appeals to propriety in order to veil or suppress listening to the voices of others with empathy, not seeking to feel and understand them, the side of taking the side of another, but rather putting them in their place. As some have noted, we have models of civility in persons who have died recently. John McCain, George H.W. Bush, Paul Allen, Charles Krauthammer, Billy Graham, I learned of civility from a great public servant and model of civility, Dan Evans, who said things have always been partisan because there are two parties. But the difference is that in his day, they expressed differences over issues, whereas now it is over persons and personalities. Did you read, as I did, a recent poll of our state and of Oregon that showed that 40% said it is not important for them to make new friends? and 49% said they don't even want to talk briefly or to interact with people they don't know. No civics lesson or course, no study of the checks and balances of our country will change that. It's an issue of belonging, of care, of empathy, of who belongs in the we of America. Maybe there's a reason why the French Jesuits wrote those 100 rules of civility, which George Washington dutifully copied down. Because there's a fundamental rule of the Jesuits, though we too fail, and by the way, like married people, we too fight. 
And it's always to put the best interpretation on the statement of another, giving them multiple opportunities to explain it. And after presupposing their goodwill, only then if we see that the statement cannot be defended, that we counteract it. A good example of this is a president of St. Louis University, Fred Bastello. What he said about gauging the disruptions on his campus after Ferguson, quote, at the outset, we simply talked and listened to one another. We worked to find areas of understanding and agreement and not dwell on our differences. Throughout those discussions, we in positions of leadership spoke, strove to speak using the poetry of compassion, respect, and dignity rather than the prose of fear, power, and threat. The poetry of compassion and respect and dignity rather than prose of fear and power and threat. That's civility. That's speaking to one another and listening to one another's truth. It's the kind of civility of citizens in conversation that alone has the chance of reclaiming the idea of America itself that must hold the nation together. We need this civility because America is not a fact. It's an ideal which alone binds it together as a nation. What I've said so far about the idea of America and how civility can reclaim it relates closely to our Rotarian four-way test. Is it the truth? Asks, is the idea of America that we belong to one another our truth and that we need to speak the truth to one another? Is it fair to all concerned? Asks, who has been left out of the history of we the people and who have we not included today in our common care? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? Gives us the hope that the realization of the idea of America will restore goodwill in the land and bring enrichment of having friendships with those from whom we are currently separated. And four, will it be beneficial to all concerned? Is itself a statement of the idea of America reclaimed by truth-telling conversation among citizens? Father Stephen Sunborn, President of Seattle University.
go down in history. This is uh, Tom Holbrook. Are you thinking about self-employment? Visit Amazon or order a book called Pre-Flight Checklist. Is self-employment for you? Pre-Flight addresses eight myths surrounding self-employment and includes a self-employment quiz. The higher you score, the higher your prospects for success. Visit Amazon Books and input Pre-Flight Checklist. That's Pre-Flight Checklist. I had the opportunity to visit with David Horsey, Pulitzer Prize-winning David Horsey, actually two Pulitzer Prizes, for his cartoons that he's been doing for many, many years. I've actually been observing his great work since the 1980s. After a stint with the LA Times, he is back in Seattle, and I visited with him at the Seattle Times offices. I am just going to play part of the interview I had with him today, but we'll play the entire interview with him in the coming weeks. This country has never been so divided, at least in my lifetime. People are shouting at each other. They're not listening to other people's points of view. I asked David, does he have any insights as to how we got here? You certainly can point to other periods in American history, whether, you know, and the 1850s or, you know, the leading up to the Civil War is the best period to look at as maybe something similar where anger was so high that people shooting each other in Kansas and uh, fights breaking out in Congress. But in a way, there was more reason for that. If, if we were at that level of anger, you got to say, why? What are we, why are we so mad at each other? We're not fighting about slavery. What are we fighting about? We're fighting about stuff that isn't real, mostly. You know, Barack Obama a very is point. a Kenyan. Or, um, right. or, or Sandy Hook is a fraud. Or getting, pulling back from that a little bit, that you know, immigrants are taking over the country. Or, you know, it's, it's a lot of myth. It's a lot of drummed up anger. We certainly have problems. Certainly not the level that we experienced during the Depression, where there are a lot of things we should be able to get together on. The Republican Party has been become a radical party, a reactionary. I'm not sure which it would be the best word, but and that has skewed our politics a lot. I mean, there used to be all these forces kind of pushing people toward the middle. When we were growing up, especially in Washington State, there was this solid center. You know, where Dan Evans worked and where, uh, you know, Martin Durkin worked and, you know, didn't really make a whole lot of difference if you're a Democrat or a Republican. You could figure out, okay, what do we need to do and what's a smart way to do it? You know, I think that was exceptional in this country, the sort of politics we often had in this state. But, uh, you know, that doesn't exist really anywhere anymore that I can see because the there is no, there are, there are no moderate Republicans anymore. There's, they're, they're, they're conservatives, and then they're right-wing loons who seem to be driving the, the party. Um, and you know, Democrats, they're still a center, but they're kind of getting tugged really to the left more uh, in reaction to the, to the right wing. So there's a, a lot of noise and heat and anger, that, but it's almost more. Uh, a creation of this 
media world that we've been describing and the ability to silo ourselves off and not have to listen to other opinions and this also this interesting phenomenon of people choosing to live in places where everybody else thinks like them you know like i mean seattle slade gorton and dan evans were elected from seattle they had political careers that started here i it's hard to see that happening I don't think it was a Republican in any district in Seattle. No. Oh, no. And in eastern Washington, I think it was one Democratic representative in Spokane, and that's it. Yeah. That demographic change, which is documented and real, I'm not quite sure what has driven that, but people physically are separating themselves. What I see is the scariest thing is that other than this, um, what's his representative uh, from Michigan, Republican of Mass is his name, or yeah. Justin. I didn't even hear yeah, about yeah, him until yeah. this weekend. And, I can't remember his name. and he's standing up, the only one. Right. I mean, back when you go to 80 or you go back to 76, there were Democrats, Republicans challenging Nixon, some Republicans right. stepping out and doing it this way. But all this from this individual we have in the White House, I'm being generous there, <laughs> is that everybody's silent. No one will say a thing. That, to me, is the yeah. most scary. That's what we were kind of right, saying, right, I think. Yeah, yeah and I, I've been saying for a while that, you know, as annoying and infuriating as Trump is, he, he didn't create this. He's, he's a result of this. That this has been building up, and he just happened to come at the right moment with the right message and style. I mean, he basically is, he is an entertainer. As much he could, you know, he was more or less a Democrat not that long ago. He just he has adopted this because it works. Uh, he has a brand he's been trying to sell for years, and it's like, well, it's selling to these people here, so I guess I'll be whatever they want me to be. I will. That's what I am. Well, the bad news is that this part of my interview with David Horsey has come to a close. The good news is that I have about 25 more minutes of interview material that I will be playing on future shows. Now, as I said in my introduction, I have been a big fan of David Horsey's work for, gosh, 40 years now. And I suggest if you want to see some of his great work over the years, all you need to do is Google David Horsey, and that's H-O-R-S-E-Y. And if you do, you will have a very compelling walk through Northwest, American, and world history. Plus, it's a lot of fun. thoughts about it when uh, we landed on the moon? Were you like in front of the TV or were you just kind of driving around? And so I, I, was it a big I, deal to you? I guess yeah, well, it was. I had, I had a relative who worked at uh, Cape Canaveral. Um, and so I used to get the pictures of the, of the, of the early rocket launches and I kind of built toy rockets. And so, yeah, I think I was in front of television. Um, I don't know, remember where watching, uh, you know, one step for man, one step for mankind. Blah, blah, blah. One giant that's leap for mankind. mankind. Yeah, that's what, it, that's was. what it was. But yeah, I do remember that. But yeah, I had a cousin who worked at, uh, was a genius and he worked at, uh, 
in Florida at, uh, before it was Cape Kennedy, uh, it was Ca Canaveral, I guess. Uh, and so, yeah, and so he, was, he worked there. And he used to send me all those uh, Atlas rocket takeoff colored glossies. I had them all in my room as a kid. So it was pretty cool. I, was, I liked all space exploration stuff and still like it today, uh, the space station and all that good stuff. So, you know, we're not the only people in the world, you know, in this, in this galaxy, universe, wherever. We're not the only ones, I'm sure. I was sitting in my apartment in Southern California watching the whole thing on a black and white TV, a small black and white TV, glued to it. I, I, I loved it all. And so, what is your feelings when it absolutely happened? I mean, so you were really thrilled, oh, obviously. I was. I mean, I, I, I thought it was something that was, uh, you know, I was kind of privileged to have, have watched. And uh, I remember it vividly, and I, there's so much I've forgotten from the 60s. But that I remember. Um, and what do you think now, 50 years looking back now? Well, oh, still a great accomplishment. I wish it would have been more of a straight line to continue funding more and more and more so that we weren't just at a space station we were doing more on the moon etc but it's all great for science and great for advancement and i'm a proponent that's floyd colmer and richard bendix at a marketing communications executives international seattle chapter event that took place last week Well, that's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. My thanks to Father Stephen Sunborg, David Horsey, and to all of the participants letting us know what they were doing and thinking when man landed on the moon in 1969. Now, throughout the month of July, I will continue to ask listeners what you were doing and what you were thinking when Apollo 11 touched down on the moon. Call 425-653-1166 and leave your comments please leave your reflections to about 45 seconds or so. I want to get many people on the air as possible. That's 425-653-1166. A very good friend, Turian Jackson, wife of the late and legendary voice of college football, Keith Jackson, I asked her to leave her impressions of the moonwalk. Well, she was in Norway on an amazing trip with her family, but she did have time to send an email. She said, Keith and my family were always more than just interested in what America was doing out in space. It was so exciting to witness it through the lens of television, actually setting foot on the moon. Incredible. I think she speaks for all of us who lived through that time. Voices of Experience will return next Tuesday at 4.30 p.m., and this show will be repeated Friday at 1.30 p.m. So if you missed part of the show today, you can hear it this coming Friday. If you want to hear this show, or if you want to hear any other previous show of Voices of Experience, all you need to do is Google KKNW and then click on to podcast and then click on to Voices of Experience and you are there. My name is Paul Casey, your host and producer of Voices of Experience. Call me at 206-459-5536 and let me know if you have any suggestions for future shows or if you just want to chat. That number is 206-459-5536. Have a great rest of the week or weekend depending on when you are listening to the show.